0: Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Right, I think that is it. 3.16. Have a wonderful time be blessed, that's our young people going out and I've remembered, which is always good oh just to say, I haven't even mentioned obviously because I forgot, that about 65 of us went to wildfires, big church day out and then wildfires and had an amazing time, you will be hearing more about it in the next couple of weeks but it really was special, I think we're all exhausted some some are ill Um, but uh, it was really brilliant and and I camped, so there you go who knew that is a sure sign of revival (laughs) You know, people look through scripture and try and find the things that are going to tell us the Lord's coming is nearer. And if you look closely in Ezekiel, you'll find a reference to my wife camping. <laughs> and when that's fulfilled, the end times are indeed drawing near. So I would encourage you to get your business sorted out with God because he's not far away. <laughs> Truly a miracle. We had an amazing time. It's It's really... I think sometimes Christians try and talk it up, but I think we really are in significant times. Um, uh, the church is coming together in ways that I've never seen before. The cohesion across um, just different denominations and the way people are supporting and encouraging and preferring each other. It's, it's a unique time that we're in, I think, and um, I want to encourage you. that the, the reason Wildfires Gathered was to fan the flames of the next Great Awakening. That was the strap line. And... Um, and we, that's what we want to do. We want to really uh, not be a um, in a period of history where we just kind of accept things as they are. We want to push into all that God's got for us, uh, and God is doing incredible things on the face of the earth, and we get to be part of that. And so, whatever you need to fan the flame in your own life, I would encourage you to do it. You know, how, what would it take to fan the flame in your own life to to rekindle passion in your own life for God and all that's happening? Because these are really significant times. So we're going to continue our Living Differently series in 1 Peter. Um, for the wildfires, guys, I'm sorry I did continue this last week, so you're no behind. You will need to catch up, uh, and you will need to listen on the podcast. Anybody who was here last week, can you help them and help me, encourage me? Um, can you remember the four elements we talked about that we need when we're living differently? At the, at the end? Wow, here we go. <laughs> Anybody? Living good lives? Yes, very Good. Suffering lives, very good. Submitted lives, brilliantly. One more. I'll give you a clue. There you go. We talked about living good lives, living submitted lives, living free lives, and living suffering lives. And uh, all these, they're markers that we live, we're living differently. Um, today I'm going to look at a passage that at first glance you might think only applies to a very small group of people, husbands and wives, and you might think, well, I'm going to switch off, I'm not married, or I'm not planning on getting married, or I'm I'm not a husband, I'm not a wife, therefore this passage does not apply to me. (coughs) But I think there's things within this passage that apply to us all, and hopefully we'll draw them out today. There's also things in this passage you might think, particularly as a wife, are no longer applicable. Things like, don't elaborately adorn yourself, elaborate hairstyles. Gold jewellery or fine clothes. Oh dear. Submit to your husband. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. You know, with this modern uh, understanding of equality in relationships, surely some of this stuff is just so outdated, it can't possibly speak to us now. (laughs) There's more. Um, But I want us to look into this passage today in kind of a deeper way because the stuff in here that applies to everybody whether you're a husband or a wife you're single you're young you're old there's princi- there are principles in this passage that apply to everyone hopefully we're going to draw them out do you remember a few years ago that these pictures that were popular funny patterns of dots and if you looked at them hard enough and went cross eyed you saw something remember those they were called auto stereograms um, here's one right okay so what are you seeing if you try and the technique is if you kind of try and focus your eyes behind the screen rather than in front of the screen, something might suddenly emerge. Is anybody seeing anything? Yeah. Who said that? You see a shark? Yeah. Skills. Oh. Okay, try again. Now not everybody can see these. So if you're squinting and screwing your eyes are going cross-eyed you may just not be able... It's called, you have to be able to decouple your eyes and focus in a different way. And if you can, you see things like Beth... Anybody see the shark? Okay, I've got one person, about three people in the room can see the shark. Well, apparently, that, that's the shark. I can't see the shark either. But apparently, I had to be really careful. I thought, what if someone has created a really naughty stereogram and they say there's a shark in there, but you put it, but someone says, ah, oh, there's a new picture of somebody. So I had to be really careful... But apparently there is, a sh- there is a shark in there, yeah? yeah? Okay, good. Okay, so we're on safe ground. The thing about these autostereograms is that they kind of, you look through something in a different way. And in this passage that we're looking at today, you might have read it a hundred times and zoomed through it and not seen some of the things that are in there. We're hopefully going to try and focus into different parts of this scripture uh, and draw some things out. So let's look at um, 1 Peter 3. Okay, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 7 in your Bibles or on your phones, wherever you want to look. I'm going to read these through. I've tried to get the whole text on the screen today, so apologies if it's a little bit small. So reading from verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put the hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right, and do not give way to fear. Husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay. So the first thing to recognise from this section, it's Peter is continuing with the same principles that he's already begun in the first part of the letter. If you remember the context, this letter was written to believers who were suffering under Roman occupation in what's now modern-day Turkey. And they were living in Roman-occupied towns, in Roman-occupied territory, and because of their faith, they were being persecuted to a greater or lesser degree. That might have been just being um, uh, ostracised in different ways or physically suffering because of their relationship with Christ. And Peter reminds them that even though they're suffering on an earthly level, Ultimately, they they live under a higher authority, and that higher authority is God's authority. They live under the authority of the Father. They have to lift their heads past their earthly persecutors and look up and see God the Father. He's the one whose authority they live in and whose security and trust uh, they live in as well. And as they submit to their earthly, unworthy bosses or husbands or employers, they are in fact doing. A service to God, because they're honouring God in the way that they suffer for doing good. And when they don't respond in kind, when they don't go back and repay evil for evil or bad for bad, then they're actually being a witness to the reality of the gospel. They're proving the gospel is true. It's working out in their lives, and they're demonstrating to the people around them they're different. They're different because of their relationship with Christ. and it's, it's making their faith of greater value, and demonstrated to be genuine. So now Peter's talking to households. He's talking to households and families. And there are families where the wife may have come to Christ, but the husband hasn't. And so there's now a tension in the relationship. The wife has, has come to Christ, now has a relationship with Christ, but the husband hasn't. How does the wife respond in that situation? How should that wife live? Well, Peter says, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Remember, he's been talking about slaves in chapter 2, how slaves living under unjust bosses who suffer for doing right are honouring God. He's now saying, in the same way, in the same way. And what I love about this is that you can apply in the same way to so many different things. If you want to know how to live a good Christian life, you can use in the same way. So in the same way, respect each other, in the same way. In the same way, forgive one another. When we say in the same way, what we're saying is effectively in Christ's way. In Christ's way. In the same way. And so Peter's saying the principles that we're talking about are universal. So if if you're stuck this week trying to figure out what to do in a given situation, I'd encourage you to think about that small phrase, in the same way. How would Christ respond in this situation? How would uh, Christ... Follow a responding situation. Count to ten before you respond. Count to ten before you react. And as you do that, think about it in the same way. Because Peter says, in the same way, wives submit yourselves to your husbands. Not submitting because they are more powerful, or they are more um, dominant, or they are stronger, or they have got more control. But you're submitting in the same way, but because you're submitting ultimately. To Christ first. Jesus told a story, didn't he, about uh, two men built houses. One built a house on a rock, and one built a house on sand. And a big storm came. You all know this from Sunday school, possibly. No, you don't know the story. Okay, I'll tell you, it's a really exciting story. Um, so these two guys, they built a house each, and one built a house on a rock, and one built a house on sand. And then the trials came, the storms came, the waters rose, and the rain came down, and the wind blew And the guy who built his house on the sand, what happened? It fell down. But the guy who's built his house on the rock, what happened? Stayed up. Okay. What was the purpose of telling that story? What did Jesus say that story was about? Anyone remember? He said, whoever hears these words of mine and... Goes away and writes a book. Sings about them. Quotes them to a friend. Well done. Puts them into practice. If he hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, then basically that's like the man who built his house on the rock. That's the man who's basically whose life is going to stand the trials and tribulations. So to follow Christ is to build your house on the rock. It's to live in the same way that Christ basically lived. Jesus gives us a model of how to treat people, how to do life, of how to basically just live this way. And he said, it's no good just hearing my words without putting them into practice, because you're like a man who just builds a house on unstable foundations. You can know as much Bible as you like. You can know this book from beginning to end. If you don't put these words into practice, then basically you're like a person who builds on sand. So Peter says, in the same way. And many Christians just don't get this. They know the Bible really well. They listen to talks. But it's in the application where the rubber really hits the road. So, when you're faced with an unjust boss, when you're faced with an unkind neighbour, when you're faced with a friend who basically says bad things about you, how do you react? Do you react in their way or do you react in Christ's way? So, Pete's encouraging these wives to look past their husbands and basically do what Christ would do, live a Christ-like way. And he says, if you do this, something amazing might happen, so that if any of them don't believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. Is there anything in your life that you're doing right now you think might win somebody over without words? It's a really important thing to ask, isn't it? the way you live your life and people look at you, because they do look at you, everyone looks at each other and they make judgments. Is there anything in your life you think is going to win somebody over without words? Because that's what Pete says can happen if wives live in that way. And we can all apply that principle to our own lives as well. You can become a living word to the people around you. So what is it in your life that you're modelling that could win somebody over without words? It can be really tough for Christian wives living in households where their husbands aren't believers. Because their husbands can just be ambivalent. They can just be, or they can be controlling, or they can even be abusive. So to ask a woman to stay in that situation and continue living in a way that's basically going to win over her husband is a really challenging thing to do. Scripture does never advocate a wife living with an abusive husband we used to work in Birmingham with um, the Rape and Sexual Violence Project. We used to re-house, help rehouse women and, and provide food for them. And some women just had to get out of the situations they were in. But Peter's saying some women are called to live in households with difficult husbands. And they're called to live in a way that wins others over. So think about your life. What's in your life that basically could win someone else over without words you see your actions have got more power often than your words the way you live, the way you act towards people Wimber used to say "More's caught than taught so as people look at you they're basically making judgments about the genuineness of your faith because what's above the waterline what they see actually points to what's below the waterline what you believe and what you value and so as you live your life are you winning others over as Peter instructs wives to do Peter says that when a non-believing husband is exposed to the purity and reverence of a believing wife, then there's an opportunity for the gospel to gain ground. And these again seem old-fashioned words, purity and reverence. They sound quite, you know, boring, don't they? (laughs) They sound quite sort of monastic, you know, purity and reverence. But Peter isn't saying this to make our Christian life boring or not creative or not in any way vibrant. He's saying there's something around living in a way that has purity and reverence in it that basically is so attractive to other people. It's not about having the pious moral high ground. It's not about looking down on people because you think your faith is better, makes you better than them. There's a captivating force around when people really get passionate about Jesus and really begin to let that passion affect them. And all purity is it's living a life that's centred around God. It's trying to avoid the junk and the mess and the muck that comes to try and dirty us. And it's trying to centre your life around God so that, that inner life, that inner passion starts to come out and people see it. And Peter says that's captivating. That's a captivating force. And the reverence, really, in the King James, it says it's godly fear. It's godly fear. Are we living in a way that puts God first so we really do recognise who he is and we revere him in our lives? And then Peter goes on to say, "Where does true beauty lie?" One of the great things about wildfires is we've got to see people unplugged. So first thing in the morning, coming out your tent, seven o'clock. Haven't done your hair. Have, I look exactly the same. Haven't done your makeup. Haven't brushed your teeth. But you get to see people unplugged, you get to see them in the raw. And lots of people are like scurry past, you know, don't want to be seen. But I can tell you that they're all beautiful. They're just as lovely as they are when you see them all made up. And that's the men and the women. Thanks. And I love that. I love because, because you know, the world sells us this lie that beauty is on the outside. You know, that we have to make ourselves up. We have to put the face on. We have to appear to be something for people to love us or want us. But actually... People are beautiful on the inside. And that's what Peter is alluding to here in this passage. You know, you might think a 50-year-old bald man isn't the best person to consult on beauty. But I wish that I could instill into the heart of every woman the truth that they are beautiful in God's sight. I wish I somehow had a a supernatural way of that. Because every... I wouldn't say every, but... Most women I've talked to have this nagging internal voice that says they are not beautiful or they are not lovable or there's something about them that basically people won't like. And that's a voice that they fight against for their whole life. And at the end of this section, Peter says, do not give way to fear, which is an interesting phrase to tag on in this section. Do not give way to fear. I think most women particularly, men as well maybe, But women particularly seem to struggle with this inner voice that basically says, that creates a fear in them that they will ultimately be rejected or they will be alone or they will be unloved or they will be unlovable. When you go back into Genesis and the creation story, you find that one of the consequences of rebellion, of mankind, of sin, um, God quotes this over the woman. He says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That's in Genesis 3.16. And a consequence of sin is that it cuts us off from the unconditional love of the Father. That sense that we are utterly secure in God's love. And this verse in Genesis tells us that another consequence of sin is that that love that we, we look for in God and we're fulfilled in God is transferred to a person. It's transferred to a person. And that person can never love us unconditionally like God loves us and there's a fear there's a fear because the desire is transferred to a person and that person can never fulfill the need we have in God and so deep in the heart of a lot of women and some men is a fear that they are not lovable and they will be rejected they will be alone but Peter says do not give way to fear we sang the song this morning haven't we We're no longer slaves to fear. We're children of God. And we don't have to fear in Christ being unlovable because we are loved unconditionally. But this fear drives us to create the facade, to create the external appearance that we think people will need to see for us to be lovable. And so a lot of people spend time, as Peter alludes to, adorning themselves externally so that they create a facade that they think people will love or accept. And Peter says, don't let fear drive you. Now, I'm not going to suggest you start not doing your hair or not wearing jewellery or makeup, but you, we need to be a people who are free. We need to be a people who are free. And we can't let fear drive us internally. And so the issue becomes, if we pay more attention to the outside than the inside, then we've got a, a kind of a cycling problem, because... We think about houses, most people pay more attention to the inside of their house than the outside, don't they? Maybe a lick of paint and pull the weeds on the outside, but inside, that's where the real treasure is, that's where the real attention is paid. But Christians often do the reverse. We pay a lot of attention to the outside and pay very little attention to the inside of our spiritual houses. And so we create the exterior that looks, looks right, uh, it looks receivable, looks Christian but we don't build the interior life in the same way. We, we concentrate on the external. And that's what Jesus attacked the Pharisees for. He said, you're hypocrites, you present the face, but you're inside your whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead bones, because inside is where the life should lie. And so as followers of Christ, the thing we should be adorning are the walls of our hearts. That's where we should be put in the treasure. That's where we should be adorning. That's where we should be putting all the decoration on the walls of our hearts and what happens when you do that something amazing happens is that the light inside starts to shine out the light inside you starts to shine out I want to show you a picture of somebody this is Father Raniera Cantamalesa he's been the, uh, the preacher to the Pope since 1980 what do you see when you look at him? Apart from the habit, obviously. Yeah. You now I see. I see Jesus. I see I see a man who has spent years building the interior life, and he's just like that in the flesh. He was speaking at the H uh, T B conference last year, and he's one of the most godly men I've ever heard speak. Not in a in a in a in a overly sort of existential way. Just an incredibly humble man. He's the man who has to prepare the talks that he delivered to the Pope. That's quite a call, isn't it? But he's spent decades building the interior life, and it shines out from him. It shines out through his face and through his eyes. Jesus said in Matthew 6.22, the eye is the lamp of the body. Your eyes are like windows to your heart. And when you build the interior life, and when you adorn the walls of your heart, then that begins to shine out through your face. It begins to shine out through your eyes. If you want to see where someone's spiritual eyes at, have a look at their eyes. What are you seeing in there? You know, is it the lamp of the body? Are, is what's inside shining out through them? It says um, conversely in Proverbs 21.4, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked. So if our eyes are critical eyes, or our eyes are proud eyes, or our eyes are judgmental eyes, and our hearts, we haven't been building the interior life, we haven't been um, adorning the walls of our hearts, then our eyes equally can be very different eyes. That can be judgmental eyes. That can be eyes that are haughty. That means proud. You know, you look down on people. And Jesus said, this is the the unplowed field of the wicked. Our hearts are like unturned soil because we haven't allowed God to really get in and change us. So true beauty, Peter would say, comes on the inside. It's on the inside as we build the interior life. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So literally, Peter is saying, make up the face of your heart. Yes, put your lippy on, all that sort of stuff, guys, girls, whatever you want to do. But make up the face of your heart. Spend time there. Um, adorning that because that will change the external as well because the light of God will shine out from you. It says in Matthew 6, when you go into the quiet place and you pray to God, then it will be manifestly known that other people, you know, the the Father will reward you and the word there means manifestly reward you. It means literally just shine. So if you go into the secret place regularly with God, when you come out, you literally will shine. You will shine God. And so... um, it's the secret place. It's the inner place that Peter asks us to focus in on. Build the interior life. Be considerate. Be considerate. Husbands, be in the same way. Be considerate to you as you live with your wives. Christian community requires consideration, guys. It requires us all to be considerate. Consideration simply means think about someone else first. Think about their needs. Think about their rights. Think about them first of all, and not just between husbands and wives and wives and husbands, but between us all as family. A great way to remember what considerate means is you can rearrange the letters, and it means care is noted, okay? The letters of considerate mean, spell care is noted. Have you ever had a conversation with someone in church, and it just felt like you're an audience to their monologue? Okay, they don't really need you to be, to be there, they're, they're just telling you a story, and, uh, and you they just want someone to kind of look at it as they say it. They don't really want a conversation with you at all. They're not really thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. Anyone sit next to that person now? <laughs> Being considerate means that you are thinking about the other person first. You're thinking about them first. You're thinking about their needs and their rights. You've probably all heard the phrase familiarity breeds contempt, yeah? What does it mean? It means that as something gets familiar with you, you kind of stop caring about it, you kind of stop honouring it. You stop treating that thing or that person as well as you should. I think the problem is not familiarity, but it's the culture or climate that we create when we're around people regularly. So we might start to play a bit fast and loose with our language, we might might start to be critical, we might start to be negative, we might start to be judgmental. And if that becomes the norm in a culture, then contempt will soon follow on quite closely after that. At the start of a romantic relationship, yeah, and, um, and each is trying to honour and, and believe the best and support, and there's kind of a conquest of love that's taking place. And, and, when, and when that's kind of reached, and you know, couples maybe you know, get engaged, get married, and then, well, then things can change. Because There's a few chuckles over here. Um, because then we've kind of arrived. We, we, we've, we've done it. We've, we've summited. We've done, we've, you know, we've done it. And now we've just got to live with each other. Okay? And that's when things can change. That's when consideration can drop away because we're no longer kind of chasing and hoping for. You know, we've sealed the deal. We've got the ring. You know, okay, relax. And that's where things can change and grow cold in a relationship. And that's where people can start thinking about themselves first rather than their partner first. They adopt a me-first attitude. They want their own needs met, first of all. They stop being considerate. They stop thinking first about the other person. And contempt is the emotional reaction to not feeling valued or not feeling respected or not feeling honoured. And if something happens in a relationship and things start to erode and, and things start to spiral, then each one can start to feel contempt towards the other person. And this can happen in a marriage, can happen in a family, can happen in a friendship. And we can all slide towards that cycle of devaluing each other quite quickly. One withdraws, another withdraws, another withdraws, another withdraws. And before we know where we are, we've made massive withdrawals in a relationship. You know, couples don't start out wanting to get divorced. But as these debits are made over time, then contempt can set in and... Divorce is the only solution. But for Christian community to thrive anywhere, we need to be considerate people. We need to be respectful people. You can start small being considerate. Next time you have a conversation with someone in church, why not start by asking them how they are and actually listening? Rather than pressing play on the, on the kind of story you've got? Would that be tough to do? You're all going, ooh, don't know about that, that's tricky. <laughs> I've got so much to say. <laughs> I'm the most interesting person here. <laughs> being considerate means stepping back from our own needs and kind of saying, okay, I've said to you before, we've got two of these and one of these. If we use them in proportion, we really are being considerate. We are blessing people. So, as a culture, let's think about how we can develop a cultural consideration in our community at Riverside. Care is noted. Can you apply that phrase to how you deal with people throughout the week? Care is notice. If we remember that we can't get from a person what we can only get from Christ, then we won't get bent out of shape. We won't give in to fear. We won't try and look for somebody to fulfill a neediness, to validate us, to make us feel more secure, more loved. Because ultimately, Christ is the only person that can do that for us. And if we go to him first, we build the interior life, if we adorn the walls of our hearts then when we speak to other people, we're much better place to be considerate. Because we're not looking for them to make us feel loved. We're not looking to them to make us feel valued. We've already built the interior life. So when we have that conversation with that person, we don't need to validate ourselves. We can just sit back and say, tell me about you. Tell me about you. How can I bless you? How can I add value to your life? we become people of inner beauty. There's a warning in Galatians 5.14. He says, love your neighbour as yourself and then if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll you'll be destroyed by each other. And what Paul is saying here is if we go to people and try and take from them what we need, that we can only get from God, literally we're we're biting pieces out of each other. Trying to get what we can only get from God. So he says, love your neighbour as yourself. That's the starting point. You can't get from another person what you can only get from God. It has to be as we build the interior life, treat them with respect. Treat with respect as the weaker partners, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so nothing will hinder your prayers. <clears throat> if you treat someone as a weaker partner, you generally show them greater consideration. And I, think, I think Peter's played a blinder here. I think he's using the same technique that Paul used in Romans 15. In Romans 15, well, in Romans 14, Paul has been talking to the church about what food is, you can eat and what food you can't eat and what days are holy and what days aren't holy. And there's a whole disagreement in the church about, about foods and food sacrificed to idols and can you eat it and can't you eat it which days are holy, which should be kept. And Paul does a whole dialogue on this in Romans 14. Then in Romans 15, he says this brilliant thing. He says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Who likes to think of themselves as strong? You all do, okay? We who are strong... We are strong. So He's appealing to the ego of the reader. So we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. And we ought not to please ourselves because we're the strong ones. We ought to bear with the weak ones. And everyone likes to think of themselves as strong. So he writes very cleverly into this situation and says, if you've got it all together, then basically respect other people because their faith is weaker. Um, Peter does the same job here. He does the same job here. He says, to the husbands, treat your wife with respect as the weaker partner. Now, I don't think women are normally the weaker partner. I think normally women are the stronger partner. Most of the women I've met in relationships are the strong ones. They have to do an awful lot of stuff, balance a lot of things. They're strong in character. They are strong, generally. But Peter's appealing to the male ego. You're the strong one. You need to respect your wife because you're the strong one. And Men go, oh, yeah, I'm the strong one. Norman's going, mm-hmm, he's strong. <laughs> so he's appealing to the ego. And he's getting the husbands to buy into the fact that they should be treating their wives with respect and consideration. As but then he restores the equality of the relationship, which is really important. He says, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, the husband and the wife are co heirs in Christ. Co heirs in Christ says in Galatians 3.28, there's no neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor male nor female, all are one in Christ Jesus. So Peter isn't writing this to say that husbands are better or above or stronger. He's saying we're co-heirs with Christ. And he's restoring the parity there. And just quickly, finishing off. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Guys, we're great compartmentalizers, aren't we? We love to put things in boxes, in silos. Anybody? It's funny having half the congregation leave as you're still talking. But never mind. We love to put things in boxes, men. We love to put things in silos. We love to... Um, we can have an argument with our wives, and we can come to church and raise our hands in the air like we don't care, and we can just worship, can't we? Anyone done that? Wow, only me! No one else had an argument with your wife coming to church. Thank you, Adam. But we compartmentalize. We go, okay, I'm just going to put that in a box. And I'm going to crack on. But Peter says it doesn't work. Compartmentalization doesn't actually work. Even though we think we've got it in a box or a silo, it doesn't work. Because what happens in one part of our life spills over and affects another part of our life. The Titanic was supposed to be unsinkable, wasn't it? It was an unsinkable ship that sank on its maiden voyage, hit an iceberg. And the reason the Titanic was supposed to be unsinkable was because it had 16 watertight compartments in its hull. So the idea was if one compartment got breached, then the water would be contained in that part of the ship, and the ship wouldn't take on more water and wouldn't sink. When it hit the iceberg, it put a 300-foot gash in the side of the ship, and six of the watertight compartments began to flood. That's okay as another ten. The ship should be safe. The problem with the watertight compartments was they didn't go all the way to the ceiling. They only went so high. There was a space. As as the ship began to take on water, it began to tip forward. And what happened? Water began to spill over from the sixth compartment into the seventh compartment and then into the eighth compartment. And effectively, the ship just basically went nose down. You've all seen the film. And it sank in about two hours, 40 minutes. The unsinkable ship sank. The watertight compartments were floored. The water could flow between them. Men, you think you've got watertight compartments in place. Can I tell you, you haven't. You haven't. What happens in one part of your life does spill over into another part of your life. And that is what Peter's referring to here. You need to live your life in a way so that nothing, nothing will hinder your prayers. You can't do stuff in one part of your life and then just imagine it's not going to affect another part of your life because it will spill over. And enough of it spills over, it will eventually drown you. It will sink you. And many famous Christian believers have thought they could get away with compartmentalizing one part in their life. And gradually, gradually have taken on more water and they've ended up crashing, drowning dramatically. And so guys, Peter says, live in a way so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Compartmentalization isn't the answer. The answer is living holistically and keeping short accounts with God, and building that interior life. So in summary, guys, I'm sorry I've gone a bit over today. I hope that something in this passage is spoken to you today. It's not just about husbands and wives, is it? It's about godly principles that we all need to apply. One of the things that was mentioned at um, wildfires was that Pentecost fire becomes the campfire of community, which I think was a lovely phrase. So godly fire needs to translate on the ground to the way that we relate to each other. The fire needs to go from the vertical into the horizontal and flow between us. Campfires of community. So we begin to relate to each other from the love and the passion and the fire of Jesus Christ. We get to work out this stuff here, don't we? On the ground, between each other. That's where God gets us to work it out. Our faith becomes genuine in the way that we treat each other. Paul's been, sorry, Pete's been referencing one of the most intimate relationships you can have, a marriage, where husband and wife are very close in relationship. But we're all called to close relationship as believers. We're all called to love each other dearly and deeply. And the crazy thing is, there's no marriage in heaven. There's no marriage in heaven. So you might think marriage is the, is the summit of Christian community, but there is no marriage in heaven. So when we get to heaven, there is still a fuller expression of Christian community. There isn't marriage. And that's extraordinary. And so we get to practice that deeper level of community here in church. So I want to sum up some of the things we said today. In the same way, the way of Christ. Try and live this way this week. When you face the situation or a person or a circumstance... How can I live in the same way that Christ lived? Win others without words. Try and live a life that captivates others. Let the light shine out of you. Don't just use your words to convince people. Use your actions. And not only when people are looking at you, when people aren't looking at you as well. True beauty lies within. Let's focus on building that interior life, adorning the walls of our hearts first and let his light and love shine out of us. Be considerate. What's the phrase? Care is noted. So are we going to be considerate towards fellow believers this week, our friends, family, work, colleagues? Care is noted. Write that on the wall of your heart. So when you're talking to somebody else, am I being considerate towards them? Am I building a culture of honour between us. Treat with respect. The truth is, guys, we're all weak and we're all strong, aren't we, at different times. We need each other. We need each other to cover one another and love one another and honour one another. And sometimes the strongest person can be weak and the weakest person can be strong. But in Christ, we're co-heirs. And so we call to love and support each other. So nothing will hinder our prayers. Let's try and live holistic lives in God centered around him. You know, if you are stuck with a habit or a circumstance or something that you can't shift, talk to someone, get some prayer, get some help. Don't just put it in a corner, put it in a silo, because it will begin to creep and affect you. It will change you. Let's stand together. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you with the depth of the word that you've left and God, I just pray for husbands and wives today. I pray a blessing on marriages. I pray a blessing on families. God, help us to develop a culture of honour in this church. Help us to be a people that just shine Jesus. And when people see us, they just see Jesus shine out of us. We thank you for your love and your care. And Lord, I pray anybody who's stuck in a pattern of behaviour, anyone who's compartmentalised something, Lord, I pray for your love. Uh, and your grace today. Just break strongholds, break patterns of belief that are ungodly, and let your love and your light flow in. Let me ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Uh, if you want some prayer today, please don't go out get someone to pray for you. I'll be at the front, uh, and so will a few others. Uh, enjoy your coffee, and we we'll look forward to seeing you at worship space tonight. If you'd like to come along, take care. God bless.